Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, 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 those annuals, they do not count, man. Oh, say say it's not so, Mark. <laughs> oh, it is so. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to The Amazing Spider-Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics, as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 84, entitled Beyond Chapter 10. There's been 10 of these already, Dan. This issue was written by Cody Ziegler, with art from Paco Medina, colors by Esprin... Oh, man. (laughs) 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 You can always tell when Mark is cold reading. Esprin Grudenjern, a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez Rodriguez, and letters by VC's Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on January 5th, 2021. What's new? I'm going to provide a summary of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 84. Our good friend Doug recounts his adventures with Spider-Man and Craven to his peers, lamenting being resigned to the Beyond Midtown branch. But then, he sees a Dr. Octopus in disguise being led through the office and freaks out. But Ock isn't there for Doug, he's there to make a strike at the top of the company. Meanwhile, in therapy, Ben talks to Dr. Kafka, recalling the same story we saw in Peter's dream of a young Peter stealing a pack of gum and a faceless Uncle Ben. But Kafka's ring technology is about to restore Ben's face in the memory and allows for Ben to make an emotional breakthrough. Ben and Janine yet again head out for a date night, but are interrupted by Marcus, who needs help with the intrusion of Doc Ock. At Beyond, Doc Ock finds an item holding all of Beyond's secrets, which he claims are his own. Though, I must admit, Mark, I thought Ock didn't remember the Superior Era, so I don't really get how this works. But Spidey arrives and kicks Ock in the face. 
Otto comments that he thinks corporations are ultimately good in opposition to Craven, and he thinks that they can be used for revenue and manipulation. But speaking of manipulation, he then loses control over his arms thanks to a device Spidey placed on him in secret. Otto then uses Beyond Security to knock out Ben and escapes with the secrets of Beyond. When Ben awakens, he's in a med bay and he gets scolded by Maxine for letting Ock get away with when the legacy Spider-Man could so easily beat him. Maxine refuses to tell Ben what's on the stolen drive, but says that as an asset, he needs to get it back lest it hurt him and everyone he loves. Meanwhile, Dr. Octopus shows up at Beyond HQ and he demands to see Maxine Danger. It's a lot of uh, words that I got a little tongue-tied on for Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 84. Mark, do you want to get into our overall thoughts of this issue? You know, it's funny, coming off of the last issue, which I think you and I were both in agreement was the strongest issue of the Beyond arc so far. I mean, this... You know, like you see Doc Ock on the cover and kind of coming on the heels of that that dot beyond issue. I had I don't want to say high expectations, but higher expectations. And I got to admit, I kind of felt a little maybe not let down, but just kind of like meh about it. I mean, like it, it just feels like kind of the characters are all over the place and, you know, like. I don't know, like all of the 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 secrets from beyond are are kind of wearing on me a little bit. And I don't know, like this, this story didn't light a fire under me the way I thought it would. What about you? I feel exactly the same way. We'll get into some of the repetition of this book, but I think it's fully settled in. And I'll repeat what I said last episode, which is I'm really engaged with the Peter story here when he's not fighting monsters that live in the basement of hospitals, <laughs> but the Ben and beyond stuff, I really don't care much for it at all. And it has nothing to do with my thoughts about Ben as a character. I think he can be an interesting character, but I really feel like no one has really like figured out what this story is about yet. And I just feel like we're treading water between the next Patrick Gleason or Zeb Wells issue and they couldn't come soon enough. We've gone through the whole creative team here, and none of them have told any definitive stories other than Zeb Wells and and Patrick Leeson. And so I can't help but think those are the guys that have been allowed to actually do stuff. So, I mean, I, one of the major things here for me that was a big letdown, like you kind of hinted at here, is the depiction of Dr. Octopus. I mean... For me, like just seeing him waltz into beyond like in a trench coat, like he was two kids trying to sneak into a movie theater. <laughs> like, like I just expect more from Otto Octavius at this point. Like, I, I feel like this, I, I feel like I felt the same way about 80.bey, but I let it go because it seemed like this kind of rompy big scheme that wasn't in a main Spider-Man book and it involved Aunt May. And so it's inherently silly. But here I feel like Otto is still kind of goofily written and maybe it's that it's the old Otto back again and I'm just not used to that depiction of the character. But I also think like this book is just generally overwritten, be it the goofy aside from background characters or whatever. I just was kind of like everything seemed a little too larger than life. And Ben too. Like I think Ben is written to be like a, almost like a teenage adult here and, and I just cannot connect to these characters. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is an instance where, you know, you you alluded to this earlier about like kind of like Zeb Wells being one of the ringleaders of the storyline. And Zeb Wells, I think, is kind of an innately funny writer, much in the vein that we don't get a lot of on uh, Amazing Spider-Man, like, like, like natural comedic writer. And I feel like what we're getting here with a lot of these other writers specifically is they're trying to kind of ape Zeb Wells with his tone. They they don't quite get there. As a result, we're kind of just getting this overwritten, overwrought style, over silly. You know, it's kind of like also, frankly, like our complaint with like Chip Zdarsky when he was writing Spectacular. It's like Spider-Man is 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 naturally funny but like it's kind of there's an awkwardness and kind of weirdness to his funniness it's not it's not slapstick and this is like becoming slapstick and you're just kind of like for me it falls flat it doesn't work yeah i mean like the the scene with otto losing his arms and spider-man making a dick joke i mean i could i could see him doing it but like the way it was rendered was like so childish it really kind of like took the gas out of the story for me. Cause I was like, you know, I, 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 it just, it was, it was so out of a like Deadpool comic that it really like took me out of buying into this world largely. And I know that's a lot of critique to lay at one joke. I think that that's kind of how it's been approached, you know, l- largely here. Um, and, you know, add on to that. I don't really, I still don't have a solid grasp. I thought I did, on Otto Octavius and his role in the Spider-Man mythos right now. But this issue threw a couple things in there that threw me off a little bit. Just, just before we go forward with that, just to, to kind of jump back to a point you had made in your intro too. It's, you know, like the sheer fact that we, the, our intro to Otto here is kind of like, like you said, akin to a couple of kids in a costume, you know, trying to sneak into, you know, <laughs> sneak into a movie theater or something like that. I mean, this is, yeah, not not to overstate it, but this is Otto Octavius. This is Doc Ock. Like this is a menacing villain, and like it's just it's it's way too cheeky how we're bringing him into this world here. You know, like like he should be like you know the the arms should be out and he should be like ripping stuff up and knocking people over and killing people or coming close to killing them. I mean, you know what I mean. That's that's who Otto Octavius is, and. You know, like, again, to what you were saying about, like, where this character is and the status quo, I think part of the issue, frankly, is we revived Otto in a B-book, which kind of, like, I think maybe is making some of these writers struggle in what exactly he knows and remembers. But the, but the fact of the matter is now this is this is back-to-back stories where we've brought this character back for the first time in a meaningful way, and I just feel like it hasn't lived up to the hype of who this character is. I mean, like, you know, say what you will about Norman Osborn, but anytime Norman shows up in Amazing Spider-Man, there's gravitas to it. And to me, Otto should have the same gravitas and it's just not there. And it's frustrating because I, I personally love this character. I think that we need to be doing more with him and that threat and that menace should be coming across. And instead, it's just kind of like, you know, we, we, we can't be consistent with him. We don't know what he remembers, what he does, you know, and, and instead it's just kind of like a joke. Yeah, we get a superior Spider-Man reference in here where Otto says, like, we know who the superior Spider-Man is. And honestly, in the context of the scene, I was like, does he know that this isn't Peter? 
under under the mask like uh, although he's not supposed to know Peter's identity anymore like so is he referring to like that he knows Ben is a knockoff uh, Spider-Man which I didn't think he knew and that but then counter that like he's not supposed to remember his time as a superior Spider-Man so is he referring to himself he probably shouldn't be and then like he talks about the tech developed here that was stolen, which I imagine is the stuff he developed during Parker Industries. So does he remember that? I mean, in Nick Spencer's run, it seemed very definitive that Otto had just like a gap in his brain where he just didn't remember a period of time, you know, under which this would fall. And again, again, I don't want to lay it at the editor's hands here, but like, I think a good editor would catch that and go, maybe we should veer away from this language so as not to confuse this or at least provide guidance on it. Because I expect Cody Ziegler who wrote this, you know, he's like a guy that's brought in to just kind of like hit a few balls here. You know, like I don't think, I mean, my read on him is that he's not like this Dan Slott Spider-Man guru that is referenced, you know, knows the ins and outs of all the characters status quos or even Nick Spencer type who I, I think clearly knew all that stuff and leveraged it for weird stories I just don't know, like, it's been inconsistent. And I think that it's the job of the editors to make sure it's not inconsistent. Do you want to talk a little bit about, in terms of the Ben subplot, before he, you know, confronts Otto, in terms of his his time with Dr. Kafka here? I mean, you know, like, we're trying to add a layer to Ben here. And, you know, I guess we had some success with that. I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think about what we got with, with Ben here? I mean, uh, the first thing is I want to make sure that my reading of this is the same reading of it as as you, which is to say, like, my reading of this scene is that we are seeing the same dream or memory that Peter had from issue 75, but it's suggesting that Ben and Peter are both, I mean, they ha- they share the same memories, right? Like, when he was cloned, he is cloned to have all the memories of Peter. This is a shared childhood memory that they're both having dreams of where Ben's face is missing. I think that's my understanding up to this point, right? It, or, or, or the alternative to that is that like the memory that we saw in 75, the dream we saw Peter having wasn't actually the dream he was having. It was Ben's dream weirdly written into that issue. I don't think that that's what's happening here. I think they're sharing memories and something is happening to both of them that they can't see Uncle Ben's face. My initial read was the memory we were getting in issue in the first issue of this arc was it actually Ben's memory. That was kind of where I was at. You know, what, do, are we getting getting some sleight of hand here where, you know, we're thinking it's Peter, but it's actually Ben. And, and now we're carrying through on Ben and what he's experiencing. Or is Peter truly having this issue, too? So so you're going with the latter of the two is your your current reading. Yeah, that that was kind of my takeaway on this issue was like, ah, OK, so we're saying that ben, it's truly Ben's memories here and whatever we're seeing with Peter is not relevant here right now. So, I mean, I think that's interesting. Like I could definitely see it going that way, but I still kind of like I'm going with what I can kind of tangibly grasp on the page, which is that like it seems that they're sharing. They obviously share the same memories and they're sharing the same ailment with this this dream slash nightmare. So that's what I'm going off of. But um, I think we can continue to have this ongoing conversation about like what is the actual text 
on, on the page and how do we read it? Because I think they are opening it up to be a question. And I don't know if it changes my read of this in any way, because it'll ultimately come to something or it won't. But my read right now is that both of them are sharing this nightmare that has been erased from them. But then in this issue, like Kafka is able to restore it through some ring device that they don't really belabor it in any way. It's some nondescript ring device that she says, look up. And in some ways she's getting him to kind of like interact with his memories. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. This missing face thing was the most interesting thing to me about the beyond era and to solve it in a way that we don't really get any detail on for me kind of defanged it as like a threat to me. It's like suggested it's some like psychological block or existential crisis. And I thought we were going to get something much more tangible and we might, but right now it makes me think like, Oh, they're just, it's just a metaphor that we're getting. And I'm way less interested in that than something that's actually going on wrong with them. Yeah. I, I, I was pretty shocked that it was so neat and tidy and how it was resolved here. I mean, to the point where, you know, Ben is kind of lifting Kafka up and she's like, oh, this is inappropriate. You know what I mean? Which is, again, kind of like that silliness that I don't think is always appropriate for Spider-Man. But like you would want more out of it than whatever they gave you. I mean, which, you know, and obviously, like you said, there's time to give it more. But like, I don't know, like where it stands right now, it's kind of like, oh, that's it (laughs) like like, you know this this grand idea that you introduced in the very first issue of this arc that's it uh it doesn't doesn't quite jive with me yeah so i mean and it may just be like i don't know what to take away from it right like whatever point they were trying to make like whatever like you know the next bullet point in that overall arc they're trying to hit i'm like i'm not sure what i'm meant to think of this am i supposed to celebrate this am i supposed to yeah. A- a- anyway, um, it, it, to me, it's just it's still kind of nebulous in a way that's not quite as enjoyable as the mystery as it was before. Uh, there's an active conversation about this going on in our Slack. One of our listeners, Jason, likes to push back on on my assertion. And that's totally fine. I think anybody could read it anyway. But if people wanted to join in, what what could they do? Well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on the Slack. The amazing Spider Slack, yeah, the amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out in there all the time. We have this great thread going on in the collecting part of our Slack where one of our slackers laid out every single issue of Amazing Spider-Man that he owns in his like office building and it took over like the entire floor and he took a big picture from it from above. It was the coolest thing ever. So neat to see all those issues laid out in such a visual way. And that's been really fun to kind of just share our collections with each other. So that's been going on in the Slack and it's been fun to kind of cheer each other on as we complete our collection. So, you know, if you're someone to collect Spider-Man comics and you want to join our collection uh, part of the Slack, come join us over, over in the Slack. You can follow the link in the description of this episode and it will let you sign up and join on in and talk to anybody about Spider-Man all the live long day, which to me is the real joy of the Slack. Let's get back to talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, 
number 84. I hate to be repetitive about this, but man, this book is repetitive. Yeah. Do you think this book's repetitive, Dan? Is it repetitive? I think it's a little repetitive. It's a little repetitive, right, Dan? A little repetitive? No, Mark. (laughs) No. So obviously, you know, like here we are again. We have an issue. Ben and Janine are out on a date. There are issues with it. And then, you know, like when when all goes to pot for Ben, he's getting threatened by Maxine Danger. We're, you know, there's going to be consequences. I mean, we've he heard loses this a fight and is told like the other Spider-Man could handle it. Like, yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, others on beyond they're facing consequences for not not bringing their a game. I don't know, Dan, like. This is kind of getting tired. We're, we're spinning wheels here. There's no way around it. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I think these issues are pleasant. You know, like they're fine issues of Spider-Man. And after like really convoluted stuff from the Nick Spencer run, like it's nice to get like a breath of fresh air of like just simple stories. But the thing is, like, it's almost we've gone back the opposite, which is like, I don't know that there is even a story here. Like, like what, it, like, where are we going with this? Like it, Ben's story is missing a strong direction or take. Like, is he anti-corporate or is he a corporate Spider-Man? I don't know. He's somewhere in between. Does Janine like this situation? Well, it's kind of like a prison, but she gets to go on all these dates. So is it really a prison? Like, what, like, what is it? Like make a strong choice and stick with it. And I'm going to be honest, like, I think this book has just gotten really boring. Anything that's related to beyond, I'm like, just go with it. We've known they're bad. We know all this stuff. Like, I'm bored. And and like the Peter stuff is actually interesting because there seems to be an actual trajectory for that character, which is him healing. And I'm more interested in that than I am anything beyond. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not even that like we know where they're bad, like there still doesn't we, we still haven't established consequences and cause and effect with these characters. That's the issue. It's it's it's, you know, like we're doing this month after month and it's like these hollow threats. And, and you know, like, you know, like I'm not saying that, like, we should start like randomly slitting the throats of characters and having this become squid game. But like, you know, maybe it needs to become like squid game or something. <laughs> where, where we go. Like, like, let's just like, you know, like. What's the actual threat level here? Like, it just all seems so hollow, you know, like, like make, make this, what, what is, you know, like clearly these characters are kind of beholden to beyond in a way. So if they're just, if they're going to screw around or screw up or whatever and not, and nothing comes of it except for, you know, the, the finger wagging of Maxine danger, then, then what's the point of this? Like, like, like let's raise the stakes and we're not raising the stakes at all. So yeah, it's boring right now. There's no way around it. And even when they decide to do like stories that are a little bit different, they have nothing to do with beyond like the hospital issue, right? Like that's a whole separate problem, you know? So like one, it, it, it suggests to me, there's a lot of padding going on here. Like I hope when Zeb Wells comes back on, we get a more like definitive movement forward. But like, I, I just don't know what's going on. We have these long 80 issue sagas that aren't paced well. And here we have an opportunity to do the opposite and it's still not paced well. And I, I don't know like what's going on in editorial where they can't like see this, like, 
maybe these individual writers aren't reading each other's scripts and so they don't know that they're repeating beats like this, but then that's the job of editorial to guide them the opposite direction. And it's, it's, it's frustrating to be honest, to, to read this kind of thing in and out issue to issue. Yeah, no, no question. What did you think about Paco Medina on art? I thought it was really nice. I mean, I think he's a strong, solid, like not altogether distinct Spidey artist. You know, he has a youthful style that made for a really clean looking book. I think you that's a, something I always wrestle with. It's like, I, I think I like my Spidey stuff a little bit weirder than this. But like in terms of like professional artists, like this was an attractive looking comic. I did find some of his renderings of Doc Ock to be a little lackluster. I mean, Doc Ock together, all together was a little lackluster for me. There's just no way around it, both both narratively and artistically. But like, yeah, but I, I do feel like his his Spider-Man action was good. Even with my criticism of Doc Ock, I, I think this was one of the stronger art entries of this of this arc so far, I would say. There's like a couple of neat little Easter eggs in there, like the the big uh, splashy image we get of Spider-Man swinging off to go like leave Janine and go fight Otto is like pulled directly from the end of the amazing Spider-Man movie at the very final shot. He's in that exact pose, which was also used in the PS4 game. So I don't know if that's like to his credit, like cause I don't know if you call it tracing or it was fun to see that like very iconic pose rendered in his style with the uh, beyond costume. I did think that Medina had some struggling with the costume and the kind of offset spider on the costume, which I imagine is tricky because it's like rotated and kind of awkward. And I found some of the renderings of the costume a little bit strange, but overall I, I think his stuff is pretty attractive and that's a positive for him. He's not someone I'm like desperate to see on the book long term, but for an issue here or there, I mean, welcome to the amazing Spider-Man family, Paco Medina. I, I appreciated your artwork. Awesome. Yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. <laughs> I mean, this was a simple issue of Spider-Man, like, and I think it would probably be reflected in our grades. You know, nothing to talk about of extreme value. Right. So, uh, Mark, what grade are you giving this thing? I, I'm going to give it a C. I think it's just a solid middle of the road issue for me. Nothing, nothing, no highs, no lows. <laughs> I agree with that too. It's a C for me um, as well. So an, another kind of standard. And I think that's kind of where we're, we've been settling with largely on, on this run of beyond. It's just kind of like a lot of average Spidey comics, punk, you know, punctured by Patrick Gleason doing his thing, you know, elevating stuff. I mean, we like Zeb Wells writing, but um Anyway, so another another issue of Amazing Spider-Man in, in the books here. Mark, let's talk about our Patreon really quick because it's the best way for people to support our show and to listen to reviews like this ahead of time. If you don't have the money to uh, join the Patreon, of course, we'd love it if you could just recommend our show. Leave us a review on iTunes or on Spotify. You know, Tell your friends about Amazing Spider-Talk. We are a small show that's looking to grow all the time. But if you, you know, again, if you really can help us out, consider becoming a member on the Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show success to every single one of them. Uh, we are constantly making exclusive content for our Patreon members, right, Dan? 
Yeah, absolutely. Every week, just about. So uh, now that now that these comics come out so frequently, so why not take three dollars ninety nine cents? You know, that's just the price of a new comic. It's even less than a cup of coffee if you go to any major coffee distributor, which which is not to say they should raise the price of a comic because please don't. <laughs> um, but uh, you can take that $3.99 and put it towards a month subscription to support our show and get our Patreon content. That way you can hear reviews like this one every on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out instead of waiting three months for it to arrive in our public podcast feed to coincide with the release on Marvel Unlimited. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Yeah, but we know like all the time it, it's a hard time for anybody. That might be a sad state of the world, but it, but it is. Let's let's acknowledge it. So it's difficult for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support our continued existence and keep the show going. Just follow the link in the description. It'll guide you right there. And again, a thank you to everybody who already makes the show possible and allows Mark to do this. And Mark and I to do this and carve out parts of our week away from our families to create <laughs> Spider-Man content for almost 10 years now, Mark. We're, oh we're, we're approaching it. Oh, my goodness. Well, Dan, it's, it's, it hasn't been 10 years just yet, but it is that time which is time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. I've got to give a shout out to all of our you know, members in 2022 who helped the show keep going. That's our editor, Rick Coast. Um, Andy Myers, who designed our online YouTube stuff. Our artwork for the show, if you see it there, beautiful looking in iTunes. That's the work of Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. So, Mark, until we cancel our podcast to go on dates with our wives <laughs> 10 weeks in a row and ultimately probably shore up our marriages, because Lord, uh, <laughs> what's our motto? Of course it is. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.